God Made Me Do It podcast fans. Thanks for coming back. This is our episode three, and we do have some business to take care of, so I'm going to let Becky take it away. Hey, everyone. It's Becky. Thank you so much for tuning in for our third episode. This case was actually suggested to us by one of my best friend's husbands and, strangely, my mom. Um, It's so timely because it's happening right now. Lisa? Yes, and I also wanted to say thank you to the person who lent us the rights to use his song as our theme song, Brian Wynn. He is a music producer. He is a music editor. He does sound for a bunch of bands and stuff like that. He let us use his song from his band, The 1984. They are out of Stockton and they do a lot of like local shows and Battle of the Band stuff, but they also have music on Spotify and YouTube. And so I hope you guys will tune in, like, subscribe, you know, listen to a download, do all that stuff and support him. And I will put a full length version of our theme song at the end of the podcast. It's called Dreaming. So today's case is a timely one. It's been all over the news lately. There's even a Netflix special about this case and it's called Sins of Our Mother. The first trial related to this case is set to begin next week in St. Anthony, Idaho. You guessed it, We are talking about the case of Lori Vallow Daybell and her husband, Chad Daybell, the LDS married couple who were charged in a triple murder case related to their bizarre doomsday teachings. Their victims were Chad's wife, Tammy Daybell, 49, and two of Lori's children, Tylee Ryan, age 17, and JJ Vallow, age 7. Were these victims stark spirits who Chad and Lori were supposed to kill to prepare for the end of the world? or innocent victims who stood in the way of a new life for the happy couple? Let's find out on God Made Me Do It. I personally believe there are more victims than what we have mentioned here, but these were the ones that law enforcement could charge this couple with for now. The religious premise of this case comes from the fact that Chad Daybell is an author of 20 books, self-published, that mostly speak of the Mormon faith and the times of turmoil, as they call it. Some Christians would refer to this as the last days. And for those who haven't heard of these religious terms, some faiths believe that there will be a second coming of Christ back down to earth to take his chosen people, like some sort of modern day exodus, preceded by a time of turmoil or chaos. This might look like an apocalyptic event or an economic collapse or a time of persecution or maybe all three. They believe that in this period of time, humans will have to make a choice to be for or against God. And then the chosen ones will be taken to heaven or some celestial place and God will destroy the ones who don't believe. Something to that effect. No one really knows the details. All of this is speculation and it comes from some of the books of the Bible and in this case, maybe the Book of Mormon as well. Chad Daybell definitely believes that he was one of those people who could receive messages from God, and he believed that the world was ending imminently, and that he had the power to determine who had a light spirit and survived the apocalypse to be with God, and who was having a dark spirit and be doomed to hell. According to Daybell's teachings, the only way to get rid of a dark spirit or a zombie was to kill the earthly body. Lori Vallow became a groupie of Chad Daybell's, and she even created a podcast entitled Feel the Fire with her friend Melanie. She totally bought into his theories and his belief of light and dark spirits. We are absolutely not faulting or blaming or saying anything negative about the LDS Church or the Church of Latter-day Saints, who most people know as the Mormon faith. The proper term for believers of the Mormon faith is Latter-day Saint. So I may use both of these terms, but we definitely see them as Latter-day Saints. The Daybells were raised LDS, but they diverged from traditional faith teachings and pursued extreme and bizarre methods to carry out their agenda. I have LDS family on my mom's side, and I would never disrespect their faith by lumping this couple in with them. Lori and Chad may have used some biblical and Book of Mormon texts as the basis of their teachings, but what their group was pushing in 2019 was very much out of the mainstream and on the fringe of the LDS faith. So who are Lori and Chad Daybell? We need to start at the beginning, shouldn't we? Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) 
So Lori Noreen Cox was born June 26, 1973 in San Bernardino, California to Janice Lee Connor of Parent, Texas and Barry Lynn Cox of Sacramento. They married right out of high school and went to Eisenhower High School in Rialto, California. They had six children, one who died as an infant, and as far as I could find, the five living children all went to the same high school as their parents, Adam, Alex, Summer, and Stacy. Stacy is now deceased. Lori was a beautiful young lady and super active, playing soccer for JV and varsity teams, and even made the cheer squad as a flyer. There were clear mental health issues in Lori Cox's family, though. Her father, Barry, was alleged to be paranoid, have long-standing anti-government views, and even served some jail time. The Coxes have sued the U.S. government more than once, saying they are sovereign citizens and want their IRS taxes refunded to them. In fact, around the time that Lori started high school, the Coxes stopped paying taxes, and by the end of their legal battles, they owed the government over $300,000. Oh my gosh. They even lost their home later on in San Antonio, Texas. The government was trying to recoup some of that money. Yeah, you can't just skip out on your taxes. (laughs) Yeah, they were belonging to like a really extremist kind of group that had these views about basically that we shouldn't owe taxes to the government and so they fought really hard they there's multiple legal documents you can find on the internet that have both janice's names and barry's names and i think even barry wrote like some sort of literature on it wow pretty serious (laughs) he really cared about that yeah but he never won any of those cases and then he ended up serving i think it was a year and a day in jail because of this oh my gosh so other things that were going on in the cox household Um, that caught people's attention, someone close to the family mentioned in an affidavit later on that Barry, her father, was known to be abusive verbally and physically to his wife Janice in front of the children. This friend also was told by one of the children that Barry was diagnosed as schizophrenic at one point. Wow. Also in this affidavit, the friend said that Lori's mother Janice was body obsessed and would constantly judge herself and her daughters on their appearance putting them on diets and telling them that she had felt they had gained too much weight. Oh, no. I find it odd that in the Netflix special, Janice says that she only had four children, and we know now that that's not true. Yeah, I mean, that's... who doesn't talk about Even if their children are deceased, like, how are you not going to mention that they were alive ever? Yeah, the baby, I can understand that because, you yeah. know. True. Maybe it was just easier, as horrible as that sounds, but. Yeah. I mean, if you had a whole child that was part of your life and not count them, hmm. And I will say that the child that did live but then was deceased later on, um, that was Stacy Cox. And she had a lot of issues as she got into adulthood and her mental illnesses and different hangups started really being exposed like toward, toward the later part of her life. And so maybe they just didn't want to have to explain that. So they pretty much pretended that she wasn't a child of theirs, like during the documentary. They just didn't want to have to go into that, probably. And there is a lot of mystery around her death. And I do have a lot of things to say about it, but I'm going to save that for another episode. Red flag! Too much to talk about. Oh my gosh, I know. Okay, go on. A lot of old classmates and former friends have come forward in the wake of this tragedy. Bernadette Flores Lopez, who knew Lori when she was 15, would say in an ABC News affiliate article that Lori's parents didn't come to any of her cheer competitions, but that didn't seem to bother Lori. They were a quiet family and pretty much kept to themselves, she said. She described Lori as a bombshell and smart with good grades. Bernadette also says in the article that the Cox family were very devout Mormons and that Lori would attend religious education classes before school. Lori talked about going on mission after high school as well, and then she wanted to attend Brigham Young University, BYU, which is a privately owned university by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Being a Mormon, this is what I got from her. They already knew she was going to be a missionary for a couple years and serve. She already had a plan. In the LDS Church after high school, that is usually expected as the next step, is being a missionary. 
I had a lot of Mormon friends at South Salem High School. Go Saxons. And (laughs) (laughs) they would go to a house across the street and do these classes before school. And those were, I think, probably like religious classes meant to gear them toward being a missionary after high school. But yeah, they would go across the street back and forth. And uh, yeah, there was a big Mormon population in Salem, Oregon, for sure. Oh, wow. I never knew that. Is that like, not to be like totally dumb, but is that like the guys walking around in pairs? Yes. Okay. Yeah. They'll have like the white shirt and tie with like some sort of slack. Yes. A lot of time on bicycles. They usually don't drive cars. They um, go to different cities all over the place. And is that them doing mission work? Yes, it is. So they're trying to convert people for, you know, Christ, bring people into the church. Wow. And they're supposed to dedicate two years of their life to do that at some point. And usually it's, you know, traditionally right after high school or like in between their college years or after college. Yeah, they always seem pretty young. Yeah. That's okay. Right. I never open my door for them. <laughs> because I can't, like, send someone away. I'm like, I know. if I don't I, open it, like, I don't no, have to be So mean. I just go, yeah. mm, no, I'm already a Christian. Thanks. You know, just try to, like, Bye. God bless. <laughs> God bless you. Exactly. Lori was usually seen hanging out with her girlfriends until her senior year. That's when she started dating a non-Mormon guy named Nelson Giannis. Lori graduated in 1991, and she didn't end up going on the mission as intended. She had wanted to prior, but instead she left home and got married to Nelson Giannis in 1992. The marriage was short-lived, however. Barry, her dad, offered for her to come on a one-way ticket to San Antonio, Texas, where they had moved to now, and he said that he would buy her a car. So she took the one-way ticket and went to San Antonio, Texas, and left her husband. Left her husband for a car. (laughs) Well, it was one of the things he promised her, and I guess she'd rather have that and have a reset. Maybe she regretted her decision. She would stay single for about three more years, but then she got married to William LaJoya in 1995 in Austin, Texas. Fresh into the marriage, Lori and William had their first child, Colby, in 1996. Her marriage with William lasted five years, and in 2001, she and William separated. Shortly after, she married Joseph Ryan. We can take a pause on Lori now because there's so much more to say, and I know you've got some stuff on this. Yes. But now we're going to give a little bit of Chad's background. All right. Chad Guy Daybell was born in Provo, Utah on August 11th, 1968 to Sheila Fern and Jack Lee Daybell. He grew up in Springville, Utah, a quiet and quaint city six miles away from Provo. Chad's middle name, Guy, came from his grandfather, who would tell his children and grandchildren a story of meeting a messenger from heaven at Temple one time. This is said to be the start of Chad believing that he could communicate with people on the other side of the veil. Mm -hmm. He later would say that this story impacted him greatly because before that point, he thought that only the prophets and apostles could get visits from messengers. Now he felt that common members could be chosen and under the right circumstances, receive messages and visions. Another theme in Chad's life was his seeming obsession with death. Chad was a writer, that's for sure. In fourth grade, he wrote his first novel called The Murder of Dr. J and His Assistant. Chad also began writing for his elementary school, for Springville High School, and later for his college paper, The Daily Universe at Brigham Young University. His articles were always about death in some form or fashion. In middle school, Chad was bullied and harbored a lot of anger for this. He later said in a memoir that, This confused him, and I was basically mad at the world. He also mentioned in his memoir that one day walking home from school, he saw a honeybee pollinating a flower, and he smashed it with his shoe. He got satisfaction from that and kept killing bees, all the bees that he could find. He kept count, and he said that he killed 120 bees that day. Not bees. I know, like, he's the reason that the bees are dying. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But, like, seriously, that's not okay. Like, what is wrong with the kid? Don't kill bees. He said afterward he felt pathetic, but he kept killing them anyway. Okay. Thanks, Chad. He said that he stopped killing the bees only when he heard a voice tell him to stop. (laughs) So he did. 
in Chad's books, he talks about this voice that he hears as like some sort of recurring character in both his fiction and nonfiction books. He like describes that he hears the voice as sometimes like a faint voice and sometimes it's like a really loud commanding like you have to stop doing this or you have to do this weird regardless he believed that those messages were coming from heaven for him so he always listened to the voice at springville high school chad was a high achiever he played baseball and he was in the national honor society he also served in student council as treasurer wasn't Andrea Yates in the National <laughs> Honor Society. Yes. Yeah, I think this is a theme. No. <laughs> I know. There's so many things that relate back to her case as well. That's funny. I know, right? He also won a scholarship to Brigham Young University where he planned to study journalism. In 1985, at the age of 17, Chad would have an experience that would change his life. The first of a few near-death experiences that he claims that he had. NDEs, as he calls them. He says he was cliff diving at the Flaming Gorge Reservoir in northeastern Utah, a 60-foot cliff he was at, and he believes his body went into another dimension. This is how he describes what happened. He said when he hit the water, it felt like I had slammed into concrete. He recalled, a shock went through my entire body and I saw a flash of white light. I felt an audible pop at the base of my skull and I thought, oh no, I broke my neck. At the top of his skull, he said he could feel his spirit exiting his body, spilling out through the crown of his head, but getting snagged in the process. It was unable to fully detach from his skull. Oh, my. As the world fell away from him, a new one around him was opening up, like a giant eye waking from sleep, and he was its pupil. This was the other side of the veil, as he called it where Chad saw an endless white plain spreading in all directions. He says there was music and it was warm. Chad was truly injured from this dive. (laughs) (laughs) He definitely was. It's just like not going so ridiculous. (laughs) Like, dude. It felt like hitting concrete. You're cool. hecka high up. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how rude to be, like, I'm holding <laughs> Have you ever my seen dog. somebody slap into water? Mm-hmm. Like, off a helicopter or something? They say it yeah, hurts. Dude, it's like slamming into it's like, concrete. Yeah. Like, it no is wonder you saw all white. Chad was truly injured from this dive, saying afterward that his right eye would just go blind sometimes, but if he hit the side of his head with his palm, he could see again. So, <laughs> like, he could just smack his sounds head. Sounds like a toy. Then, it sounds like a toy, yeah. He didn't tell anyone of this out-of-body experience or that he had believed he had been transported somewhere else. Despite his near-death experience, life as usual resumed for Chad. His first year at BYU, Chad and his friends were self-proclaimed gospel nerds. He was laser-focused in his studies and rarely dated, but he did recall having a date with a girl who laughed at him and called him too sheltered. He took great offense to this because he had been to Disneyland and Tijuana. (laughs) (laughs) He took great offense to this because he had been to Disneyland and Tijuana and the Four Corners, for God's sake. That's when he filed to go on to his mission trip early. He ended up going to New Jersey in 1987 as a missionary and he went for two years and it actually reinforced for him how bad the outside world was he was too happy to return to the safety and community of utah an interesting and unusual side note about chad's life (laughs) was that he was studying at byu and he also worked in the city of springfield cemetery as a sexton in fact throughout his life he worked for the cemetery multiple times Chad graduated from BYU with a BA degree. And what's a sexton? I believe he was a grave digger. A I grave believe digger. that's what that okay. was. So he did that multiple ah. times throughout his life, but that's when he started was when he was in college. That was like a side job he did. So people whose last name is Sexton means that they were a grave digger? I suppose. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, he was really fascinated with death, right? We talked yeah. about that. And now he's working at a graveyard. I mean, like, I'm fascinated with death, but I think he's more fascinated in yeah. killing. 
Well, which is where we differ. <laughs> and which is where we find him today. Um, dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, so I'm going to take things back to Lori. Um, so she met her third husband, Joseph Ryan, Joe, and they got married in Hawaii in 2001. And together they had her daughter, Tylee, um, and that would be her second kid. In 2004, Lori went on Wheel of Fortune. What? Wheel? <laughs> oh! No, just, I love that show. <laughs> Same. And when she was asked, she said, I have a wonderful husband, Joseph, at home, who is watching our two beautiful children. We like to play all kinds of sports on our three acres. But in reality, the marriage was rocky, to say the least. Colby was seen on the show Sins of Our Mothers saying that Joe had abused him. And Lori later is quoted saying both kids were actually sexually abused by Joe. Hmm. Their divorce was being quoted as being highly dramatic and emotional custody suit. Court documents state Mr. Ryan reports a threatening phone call. I am disturbed the supervisor's report that while her father was visibly shaken, a police officer met them on the highway and they followed his directions to his house and kept the doors locked. Tylee had no emotional reaction at all. It was as if nothing was happening. With a psychological indicating a high level of repressed anxiety and a history of police officers and bodyguards involved with her visitation, her emotional and mental health are at risk. That's horrible. Seemingly, Tylee has grown accustomed to adults who are highly upset and accustomed to police officers and bodyguards at the age of five. Oh, my gosh. Like, what has happened? I couldn't find anything more about, like, why she had bodyguards, but that's insane. So these are the divorce papers, or like the custody battle that happened? Their custody battle went on for years. Oh, wow. Like, I think it was two years. And at one point, Tylee was given a guardian ad liam, and it's kind of like a court-approved, appointed spokesperson for a minor because they believe that neither parent had the best interests of the child. Yeah. Like they said at one point the court costs were so high that they couldn't pay for her to get psychological help, so they weren't willing to pay for it. It was just weird what they were picking to pay and what they weren't. Right. Um, and then it, we see the results like of her not getting that help. Obviously, she got numb to all the crazy stuff that was going on around her. And mm-hmm. like I told you, the Cox family themselves, you know, they were already kind of like, I mean, this is normal for Lori, I feel like. She likes drama. She's around dramatic people, people that are very loud and just, you know, there's always somebody against them and something's going on. So then we see it here in her marriage now with this custody battle. And then her child is just, I'm totally numb to it. Like, this is normal. It's like just going down in the generations. At one point, Lori had moved with Tylee to Arizona and it was becoming hard for her to do their... The visitation and also, like, the psychological, like, counseling. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. So another court order reads, since the final order was rendered 1-11-2008, circumstances have not improved but have deteriorated. Miss Vallow's move to Arizona has made the visitation order burdensome, involving frequent flights and travels. It would require Miss Vallow to fly here with Tylee, for four consecutive Saturdays, and then first, third, and fifth Saturdays to participate in her own therapy with Dr. Laredo and take Tylee to see Mrs. Smith. Tylee would also be visiting with her father during that time. It's not realistic any of this can happen. Um, Joseph was required to pay Lori $1,500 per month in child support, and he also had to purchase a life insurance policy, if Joseph ever died, to pay Lori an amount not less than $350,000. I didn't know about that. Yeah, super weird. 
Also, if we go back to 2005, there's a bankruptcy filing. So that would have been when she was married to Joseph. Lori reported more than $723,000 in liabilities. And both Lori and Joseph were on the hook for almost $80,000 to the IRS. Uh Uh-oh. So it sounds like they were very much buying into what her dad and yeah. her mom were doing yeah okay following it's- in barry's footsteps <laughs> oh man not in a good way in addition to the money that she owned on the house that they lived in she also had more than twenty eight thousand dollars in credit card debt loans and bills joseph's credit card had over eleven thousand dollars and then there was a target card with over five thousand dollars my gosh yeah so they were like super in debt not paying bills not paying the irs and just charging everything i mean i can see filing for bankruptcy at this point because i mean what else are you gonna do they are obviously not pulling in the money to pay for that stuff but why are you spending it in the first place and yeah she wanted that lavish lifestyle those numbers were according to an article written by inside edition And I could go on, but the other thing it comes down to with their custody battle was also he was accused of molesting the kids. And how is there still a custody battle? Like you would think if immediately the judge would be like, yeah, it goes to the mom, you know. Right. Well, he was actually cleared of those accusations. In the show, Colby states that it happens. And he's an adult. Age eight. Yeah. And I do want to believe him, but I did read something on Reddit that I'll talk about in a second. So they did do a full case on it. Um, The DNA and forensics team went through the whole house. They didn't find anything suspicious like in the kids' rooms or anything like that. And in an interview with a detective, you can read it, both of the kids redacted their statements. Really? So... They said, I'm just, so it's not graphic. I'm going to use like a, the kids would say, he held my hand. Okay. So like say that that's what it is. Okay. And they're like, okay, so did both of your hands ever touch? And the kids would say no. And they would say yeah. like, did he put his hand on your hand? And the kids would say no. And they're like, okay, so you guys never held hands then, right? And the kids would say no. So it was almost like they were told to say something that they didn't really know what it meant. Yeah. And I feel like, was this their mom telling them to say this? And a child psychologist on Reddit, she said, it almost seems like that maybe Colby was abused by someone, but maybe it wasn't Joseph since he can't really... I mean, being young and having that kind of trauma, maybe he can't remember exactly what happens, but he remembers it did happen. And maybe the details aren't there. And so Lori, possibly, who knows, filled it in with this information. Like, this is what happened. This is who did it. And he remembers it inaccurately. Possible coaching, suspected coaching. Mm-hmm. He may have really believed that to be true. And then why would you not believe your mom? You know, yeah. your mom's telling you this and you want to believe that she's a good person and that she would never lied to you and you know he's a young impressionable kid and Mm -hmm. so yeah I mean that does sound like I mean I'm not gonna again I want to believe him too and I do believe that he could have had some sort of sexual trauma I totally believe that as well if they were coached that does make sense and that's probably why police interview people the way that they interview people is that they say okay you're saying this you're making this claim so then they dance around that well what were these details and those details and if you can't fill that in then it's probably possible that you're just making a claim and you're not really like you don't have an actual memory of that happening right exactly um so it was very interesting to hear that and to read that um interview with the detectives but Lori's brother alex throughout this whole story like they're very close and um He actually goes and tries to kill Joe by tasing him in the nuts and ends up getting three months in jail. What? 
And he actually jokes about this at a comedy show that he performed in. No one laughed. And it was weird. Um, not long after, she finds Charles Vallow, who's a handsome and wealthy man. The two marry in Vegas in 2006. Um, there was not a lot of information about like how they met. I know he was like a lot older than her. He seemed older than her. Yeah, I think he was 14 years older than her, something like wow, that. Yeah. And he was very wealthy. He worked for like, an investment firm. Okay. And obviously, she has a lot of debt. <laughs> I'm thinking, like, this is the answer to her prayers right, right now. This is the guy. Yeah. He was probably a really good guy. He seemed like it. He really did, and I really feel bad for him. Everyone, his family, even his ex-wife talks highly about him. So the custody battle was actually going on when she got married to Charles. Okay. Um, he had two sons of his own from a previous marriage, and they also decided to adopt a boy who was Charles's sister's son's kid. Oh, you I didn't that? know that JJ was actually related then. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So his sister was older, and they couldn't take care of him. Um, he was little. He had ADHD and autism, and they wanted him to be with a young family. Um, he had also converted from Catholicism to LDS for Lori. His ex-wife oh. recalls Lori being odd. And here is another example of this. Um, so at one point, a court had ordered cameras to be placed in the Vallow house after Lori makes another sexual abuse claim. Really? I didn't know about this. Yeah. So... One of the sons completely denies that this happened, but Lori says that one of Charles' son was masturbating in Tylee's room while she was asleep, and he says he was told to sleep in there, and then he was woke up in the middle of the night by Lori causing this huge scene, and he's like a kid too, or maybe he was a teen, but... This whole thing happens. The mom freaks out and she's like, what's going on? Why are the two stepkids sleeping in the same room? And I think Lori had said they wanted to sleep in there and I thought it was cute. Like When really she set this whole thing up. Yeah. Oh, man. Like, she's a piece of work, man. Mm-hmm. So... In my mind, it kind of seems like she was trying to get rid of his sons. Mm, like, yeah. how can I get rid of these kids and just have the husband to myself because then in 2014 they decided to move from arizona to Kauai, hawaii they had to get approval from joe ryan tylee's dad to move out of state so they had claimed that charles had been offered a job there and it would make them more stable as a family the job was a food truck <laughs> Oh, my gosh. It's a beachside smoothie bar called Island Juice. And their Facebook is still up if you want to see pics. I will have to look that up. That's awesome. (laughs) It's like this blue uh, food truck. In the court order, Lori actually offers for Tylee to stay and live with her dad. So, like, once again, the one that she had filed as a sex abuser against her kids, she's saying, why don't you go live with your dad? But of course, Tylee is like, I want to stay with my mom. Probably because you want to live in Arizona or you want to live in Hawaii. I mean, right? Uh, I'll go but to again, Hawaii. he's an abuser, why would she be okay with why? her living with him? I don't know. I've had some ideas that like she definitely didn't seem as bonded to her kids as a mother could be and should be. And this kind of tells me, like, okay, she's got this new husband and, you know, he's taking care of business. He's taking care of her. And they're going to move to Kauai and she wants to leave her daughter behind. Like, she's still young at this point, right? How old is Tylee? Um, this was in 2014. So. 10, 11? Yeah. Plus, she still has her two brothers. Like, you're going to split up your kids. That's not good. So I didn't see in the court files or whatever what happened, but Kylie goes, so I guess things are okay. 
though many, many times Lori is told to do something by the court and she just upright refuses. Right. I don't know how you can just not listen to what the court tells you to do, but she doesn't. Think about who her dad is. Think about what he, how he basically tells them the government is trash. They're taking from you. You don't have to listen to them. Yeah. It's just crazy. It makes so much sense. So they only stay in Hawaii for about a year and come back. In April 2018, Joe, Tylee's dad, is found dead from an apparent heart attack. So at one point, Lori had told someone that Tylee had a key, and Lori went with her to check in on him after not hearing him and found him dead. But Lori didn't even know that he was dead until 10 days after his death because the neighbors reported a foul odor and called the police. The front door was locked, but there was an open window in the back of the house, and that's where they found him, and he had been dead a few days. He had no next to kin, and he was cremated. So from his death, Lori got $50,000, and I think that uh, Tylee got a couple thousand a month for, like, a trust. Meanwhile, this is when Lori started the podcast, uh, Feel the Fire, about preparing people for the second coming of Christ. This is when Lori really dives into all this doomsday shit. A lot of people will use like this time in her life as like the pivot point where she goes from like, good Mormon girl to crazy. Right. Not even Mormon at this point. Like you're no, just right. speaking in- of nonsense. Yeah. Exactly. And we're not in any way likening this to actual LDS believers. Like this is total fringe stuff. Yeah. Anyone who was part of the Mormon church saw this as not, this is not who we are. Exactly. The LDS church believes people are given gifts to be used to convert others. And Laurie took this as she thought her gift was she could talk to angels and receive messages. So she began reading Chad Daryl's books, like you mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. And she was sinking further and further into this, like, deluded state of mind. So much so that Charles files for divorce in February 2019. So he actually tried to make the marriage work. Um, He really tried to get Lori psych help. If you've seen the show, there's body cam footage of Charles. And he is coming from Texas to Arizona they had been separated and she was not answering his calls or whatever and he was like really freaked out and you could see him really freaked out in the body cam footage basically at this point she was telling people that she was one of the selected 144,000 people to prepare for the end of the world and Charles was fearing for the safety of his kids Lori had started referring to him as Nick or Ned Schneider a dark being or zombie what in all, the world is that? Yeah, I'll go into that in a second. Okay. But sadly, in 2019, he was killed. Lori's brother, Alex Cox, had called the police saying he shot Charles in self-defense when they got in a fight. Tylee had come out of the room with a bat to break the two men up, and Charles took the bat and hit Alex. So Alex then went into his room, and he grabbed a gun, and he shot Charles. Alex later reportedly told another follow of their doomsday tribe that he didn't feel bad because he killed Charles because he was a zombie. Charles's ex-wife states, Charles was a semi-pro baseball player. If he hit Alex in the head with a bat, he would be dead. But Charles was not a violent person. In the medical examiner's report, the injury evidence states, multiple gunshot wounds to Charles Vallow's chest, bruises on the right side of his chest, abrasions to the left arm and right hand, Hmm. as well as on the knees. So is this self-defense or overkill? Like, I'm thinking, are those defensive wounds or, like, they got a scuffle and then Mm -hmm. Alex pulled the weapon out? There was body cam footage and it looked like he was near a set of stairs. So I was thinking he could have fallen onto the stairs like if you are falling if you were shot in the chest and then you fall you would fall on your hands and knees and then maybe he hit his side but who knows right of course this is all speculation we're just trying to make sense of it yeah I think, wasn't Charles Vello like a lot bigger than Alex so he was a big dude I think so yeah legit a big guy 
I saw an interview with Lori's nephew, her older brother, Adam's son. Okay. He lived with the Vallows in their house. Uh, you know, sometimes you have nieces or nephews come mm-hmm. stay with you for a few months. And he did. He stayed with them for a few months. And he was there around that time when she was really getting into Daybell's teachings. You know, saying weird, odd things, even around him. But again, they kind of just, they ignored her. They were like, Lori, you're crazy, whatever. Mm-hmm. But Charles couldn't ignore it because she was then starting to turn stuff on him, saying he was dark and like calling him that weird name, right? And then... Yeah. He was even getting concerned for his own physical safety and stuff. And he really did care. Like in that body cam video that you're saying, he was a desperate man. He loved her and he didn't want this to go down the path that it went, but he really saw no alternative. So Adam, her older brother and his son, communicated (coughs) with Charles regularly and felt sorry for him. They believed him. And so he would text them like every day all the time Mm. and they would be there for him as much as they could be. After he was killed, right, they were not told that he was killed. And in fact, the family totally turned against Adam and Zach. Lori took Charles's cell phone and showed the family that he had been communicating with Adam and Zach. And so they kind of got pushed out of the family because of this. Like it Mm. tore the family apart. You were either with Lori or against Lori. Wow. That was how she was. Total manipulator. So the Vallow family put together a memorial and Lori refused to let JJ attend. That's horrible. I know. They just lost Charles and then his son wasn't even allowed to go. And this all happened while they were going through a custody battle of JJ and trying to get mental help for Lori. So her talks of preparing for the end, who must die, evil beings were scaring Charles. He was trying to get emergency custody of JJ, and Lori made threats to kill Charles if he got in the way of her mission. A document states that Lori informed him she wanted nothing more to do with him or the children. She said she had a more important mission to carry out. What more important mission than, like, being with your kids? Even if it's not with him, you know? Mm-hmm. I always, like, you know, just from what I've heard on the news and what I saw on the show, I was just like, I don't understand still how a mom could do this to her kids. But after researching this more, it just became very evident how much she didn't care about her kids. So during their separation, there was even a span of 58 days that Lori had left JJ with Charles, and she was just completely unreachable. Where was she? Where was she? I'm going to take a guess and uh, say she was with Chad Daybell. <laughs> so Chad was the author of these like doomsday, Mormon, post-apocalyptic. Mm-hmm. They all had these kinds of themes about them. And Lori had just been becoming more and more obsessed with him over the past few years. He even made guest appearances on her podcast One time he had a conference or gathering of like-minded LDS prepper people and Lori went. She met Chad and the two started this really creepy relationship, like (laughs) pretending to be friends. And he would like later like write these little stories with pseudonyms and it would be like end of the world steamy romance novels. I refuse to look them up. That's just That's so, so gross. gross. Yeah. <laughs> Not even right now. I did try to listen to her podcast. It's completely removed from all streaming platforms. But um, people I, do have it recorded on YouTube if you Google it. It won't be too hard to find. I saw that um, the actual recording company that they used to host her podcast oh. on their site or whatever, they want nothing to do with it. They put it like a little disclaimer oh, there shit. saying, warning people of talking about them and bringing up their name. So we're not going to talk about their name and point people to their website because they basically are saying they want to sue anybody who uses their oh. company in their podcasts or news broadcasts or anything. They don't want to be associated with this crime and with these people. So Chad's gift was, like you said, he could rank people's spirits. So it would go from a really dark or evil spirit to 
a light spirit, which is really good. And at one point, Lori requested he make a family history of everyone in her family. And guess who was the highest ranked? Oh, it was Lori. It's got to be her. She's so perfect. Perfect. He called her, what, like a goddess or something? Oh, he really? Did. Yeah. Oh, okay. Gross. Um, so steamy romance novel, like yes. heroine over here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, she was a 4.3L, and Charles was a 3L. JJ was a 4.2L, but Tylee was a 4.1D. Dark, dark spirit. spirit. So Why? Why would Tylee be like a dark spirit? I don't know. I don't have that gift, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Becky, good one. You got me there. You really got me. So, uh... Dark person would become a zombie, and the only way to get rid of the zombie would they would need to be eradicated from Earth. Right. Yeah. Of course. So, I mean, it's like the likely. I mean, it's just got to happen. Yeah. This is their mission, and he's got this voice telling him this, and he's chosen. And oh my it, gosh, it's crazy! Like they're not killing people; they're like killing zombies. And I love zombie stories and stuff, but That's this right. is just stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and how they could even like, and they actually got people who were followers. Like people yeah. followed this and like listened to their podcasts and stuff. Yeah, that scares me. Like, it's one thing to have two people that are just way off the deep end, but, like, for them to have people who are like, you know what? I I think that sounds accurate. Like, what? Right. In a text from Lori to Chad after Charles' death, she says, so I talked to the insurance company. He changed it in March, so it was probably Ned before we got rid of him. They can't tell me who, of course, but it's done. I'll still get 4000 a month from Social Security. So th- we're talking about Charles Vallow's insurance policy now. Life insurance, yeah. Life insurance that sounds like she... She basically says we got rid of him. Yeah. Right here in a text. So she still got $4,000 a month, even though he was a millionaire, and his money ended up going to his sister which he had changed five months before his death. Smart. Yeah. He must have had, like, serious... He was scared. He He obviously knew something was going to happen. Lori decides to move with her brother to be closer to Chad, who was at the epicenter of where this end of the world was going to take place. But where is her kids? You'll have to come back for episode two to find out. That's right. Again, we had to break this up because there was so much information, so many key players and victims even. So we're going to end it here where the police and her family starts wondering where the children are. I know that JJ had regular talks with his grandparents mm-hmm. and Tylee obviously was a teenager. She had a cell phone. So when all of a sudden they're not communicating people start to get curious. At this point, we're going to leave it off here. Come back next week with part two, where we talk about children, what happened to them, and even maybe Chad's wife, Tammy. We hope you'll come back and join us. Again, we want to thank your friend. Yeah, my friend's husband. Who pitched the idea. Yeah, this is a great case. There's so much information, and I really hope that we're getting it out clearly because there's so many players and so many crimes, and the timelines overlap. It's been super hectic. So tune in, and we will let you guys know next week what happened. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at God Made Me Do It Pod. And on TikTok at God Made Me Do It Pod. And you can email us with any new ideas. As you can tell, we listen to what you have to say. And we will definitely take your suggestions at godmademedoitpod at gmail.com. Yes. Uh, We're going to go ahead and finish this broadcast with the theme song all the way through. This is Dreaming by the 1984. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy. Goodbye. so long
Right? <laughs>